Today's scripture reading comes from selected passages from Psalms and Proverbs. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes, he does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire, around him a mighty tempest. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, good afternoon. My name is Gene, and I'm one of the pastors here at Exilic, and I want to welcome you to our Sunday afternoon worship service today. Uh, if you're joining us recently, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Winning Your Thought Wars. And in this series, we're looking at different areas in which we're struggling in our thoughts. And I think the title is appropriate because it's not about just improving your thoughts or thinking positively, or thinking better, but very often our thought struggles feel like war. Wars bring about damage, destruction, death. Wars break apart families. They destroy society as a whole. The battles that rage in our minds and in our hearts have the power to do this. And today's topic is one that is particularly prevalent, especially in today's social media landscape. Beauty. Beauty. In 2011, right as Instagram was launching, Dove, the soap company, they released the findings of its largest global study to date on women's relationship with beauty. They titled it, The Real Truth About Beauty Revisited. And here's what the study revealed. Only 4% of women around the world consider themselves beautiful. And that anxiety about looks begins at an early age. In a study of 1,210 to 17-year-olds, a majority of girls, 72%, said they felt tremendous pressure to feel beautiful. The study also found that only 11% of girls around the world feel comfortable using the word beautiful to describe their looks, showing that there's this universal increase in beauty pressure and decrease in girls' confidence as they get older. Did you know that according to the CDC, for women ages 20 years old and older, the average height for women in America is 5 foot 3 inches, the average weight is 166.2 pounds. For fashion models, the average is 5 foot 10 inches, and the average weight is 120 pounds. 
By age six, girls start to express concerns about their own weight or shape. 40 to 60% of elementary school-aged girls, ages six through 12, are concerned about their weight, and this concern endures through life. The best-known contributor to the development of anorexia and bulimia is body dissatisfaction. The median ages for the onset of an eating disorder in adolescence is 12 to 13 years old. In the U.S., 20 million women suffer from a clinically significant eating disorder at some time in their life. It's not just a woman issue. Men suffer from many of the same debilitating problems caused by skewed perceptions of their bodies. One common body image problem for men is their dissatisfaction with muscularity. And research is showing that exposure to the media ideal of muscularity, that is what's causing this deep dissatisfaction in men about their bodies. A survey in the United Kingdom found that four out of five men confess to being unhappy about their body. 35% of respondents said that they would trade a year of their life in order to achieve their ideal body weight or shape. I think it doesn't help that the number one show on Netflix right now is called Physical 100, and it's all about glorifying the, 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 the muscled ideals of the physical body. And the stats, they get pretty grim. A brand new uh, study from the CDC just came out last week, uh, and the results are very disturbing. It says that nearly one out of three teen girls seriously considered suicide in 2021. Teen depression has doubled between 2011 and 2019, even before the start of the pandemic. Emergency room admissions for self-harm quadrupled between 2010 and 2021 among 10 to 14-year-old girls. Why? What happened during that time? Well, what was already a huge problem in the early 2000s is now nuclear because of social media. Since 2010, the social media landscape has evolved, and its reach is now virtually universal. People are being discipled and enslaved by algorithms, and the level of indoctrination to idolize physical beauty has multiplied exponentially. And this is also evidenced in the prevalence of pornography use. Here are some stats. In the U.S., 40 million U.S. adults regularly visit internet pornography websites. 10% of U.S. adults admit to having an addiction to internet pornography. 17% of all women struggle with porn addiction. 20% of men, 13% of women admit to accessing porn while at work. 70% of women admit to keeping their cyber activities secret. One of three visitors of all adult websites is a woman. Studies have shown that the effects of pornography consumptions in young adults has led to an increase in the odds of teenage pregnancy, 
hindering sexual development, raising the risk of depression and low self-esteem, and of course, an increase in sexual violence. The reason I'm giving all these stats, I think what they're demonstrating is this. We have a major beauty problem in our culture today. And it goes beyond just feeling insecure about your body or being ashamed of your body. Our world is obsessed with physical beauty. And I think all of us here in this room are struggling in our thought wars with beauty in one way or other. So many of us are feeling the need to feel beautiful or the relentless pursuit of beauty through dating relationships, through sexual gratification. We're indoctrinated to believe that the only way we will be significant and have self-worth is if others consider us physically beautiful or if we're accepted and loved by those who are physically beautiful. So what that means is if I date someone who is physically beautiful, that means I'm significant. I have value. I think pornography, it's the shortcut to this because what it provides is instant acceptance. No rejection. Immediate access to physical beauty with none of the complications. I want to talk about beauty today. I'm going to talk about three things. First, our need for beauty. Second, the problem with beauty. And lastly, the surpassing beauty. First, our need for beauty. As I said before, in general, everybody either wants to be physically beautiful or be with someone who is physically beautiful or both. And what this provides is a self-perpetuating cycle, right? The more physical uh, beauty is valued in society, the more people feel they need to attain that. So it's this kind of cycle that doesn't end. All of us have an inner craving for beauty. We're drawn to beauty. And that desire itself is natural. It's not wrong. The very first two things that we learn about God in Genesis 1 is that he creates beauty and then he admires and enjoys beauty, right? So what's the pattern in Genesis 1? God makes something and behold, God saw that it was good. That word good in the Hebrew tov, it's the same word for beautiful. So if we're created in God's image, then we are beautiful creatures and created to be beauty admirers. Psalm 139. Pastor Aaron preached on this last week. For you formed my inmost parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and beautifully Wonderfully made, wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. And what this psalm is saying is God burned calories when he made us. He made us intricately, beautifully. 
I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says in The Weight of Glory that we do not merely want to see beauty, though God knows even that is bounty enough. We want something else which can hardly be put into words, to be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become part of it. It's not enough just to see beauty and say, wow, we want it in a way that we can't even express. We want to be joined to it. We want to be part of it. We all need it. We all crave it. We, it's wired into us to want beauty. And how did our problem with beauty arise then? What went wrong? How did things get so messed up? Well, it happened in Genesis 3. The serpent comes to the woman and he tempts her to eat from the forbidden tree. And what happens then in the fall is Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was beautiful to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Here's what happens in the fall. The woman looks at something that God has created, and in that moment considers it more beautiful than the creator. It wasn't wrong of her to admire the beauty of the tree, the beauty of the fruit, but it was wrong of her to desire that beauty more than her God. That's the nature of sin. It's to desire the beautiful things of God more than God himself. So what we need to understand is this. The Bible doesn't condemn physical beauty. The tree wasn't corrupt. The fruit wasn't bad in and of itself. The Bible, it doesn't promote this platonic view of the world. Plato said that the body physicality, anatomy, these things are less good. The further you move away from the physical into the spiritual, the better things become. The Bible doesn't say that we need to escape the physical. It doesn't promote the spiritual over the physical because the physical is bad. Remember, every step of the way as God is creating the physical world, he's stopping to admire it. And in the end, what Revelation tells us is we're not just going to be disembodied souls floating around in heaven. We are going to have new and glorified bodies in the new heavens and the new earth. Physical beauty is not a bad thing. The Bible says that it is indeed a good thing, a real thing. So any physically beautiful person or any physically beautiful qualities that someone has, that's just a testimony to the creativity of the creator. Physical beauty is a good thing, but it is not an ultimate thing. The Bible, it contrasts physical beauty with inner beauty or character, but it doesn't say one is bad and one is good what it does say is, one is fleeting, the other is not. You know, it's interesting because I'm at an age now where the sex symbols in my teens, they're now in their 50s and 60s. 
When I was young, Madonna was considered to be one of the most beautiful women in the world. But just a few weeks ago at the Grammy Awards, everybody was talking about how much her appearance has changed through cosmetic surgery. Instead of a woman in her 60s aging gracefully, she was talked about on social media as this sad example of an aging woman desperately trying to cling to her physical beauty. Proverbs 31 says, Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Charm is deceptive. It can mask, it can hide what's going on inside. Beauty is fleeting because every physical thing in our world, after the fall, it's destined to decay and to die, including beauty. But some things last forever. Wisdom, the fear of the Lord, these things do not die. You know, we live in this hyper-connected digital world that really reinforces the destructive tendency to overvalue physical beauty. Social media especially, it conditions us to evaluate people solely on the basis of physical beauty. Remember, physical beauty is a good thing, but it's not an ultimate thing. It's not even close. The fear of the Lord is an ultimate thing. And in sin, we've taken a good thing and made it an ultimate thing. We've taken a side quality and have chosen to let it define who we are. We've looked at physical beauty and we've seen that that is more beautiful to us and more important to us than the creator, the fear of God. What's the result of the sin? Well, it's the mess we're in now. Proverbs 11.22 says this, Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Looking just at physical beauty, it's like reaching for a precious gold ring and realizing, oh, there's a pig on the other end of this. You reach out for beauty and you're left with the mess. And that's where we are today. You know, there are certain instances in the Bible where a woman's physical beauty is specifically mentioned and commented upon. The wives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all notably physically beautiful. Sarah, Abraham's wife, was 65 years old when she came with Abraham into the promised land. And while they were there, there was this famine, so they had to go to Egypt. And when they go to Egypt, Abraham pulls Sarah aside and says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell everyone that you're my sister because you're so beautiful, people are going to want to steal you from me and kill me. So can you just say you're my sister? And you kind of read that and you go, come on, Abraham, she's 65. But then Pharaoh steals her. Pharaoh steals her. And then this happens again when she's 89 years old. What must she have looked like? Rebecca, also notably, very physically attractive. And then Jacob was so in love with Rachel that he worked seven years to win her hand in marriage. And the seven years flew by. They were like days to him because she was so beautiful. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob all had beautiful wives. But in each of these stories, there's so much drama. Twice, Abraham has to lie and God has to prevent Sarah from being taken by another man. Rebecca's a terrible mother. Her and Isaac, they each pick a twin and they pit them against each other. 
She teaches Jacob how he can trick uh, his blind dad into giving him the firstborn blessing. Rachel, she's the pretty sister. Her older sister, Leah, she was weak in the eyes, it says. She couldn't get married. So their father, Laban, Laban had to trick Jacob into marrying Leah. And then there's continued family drama as a result throughout the rest of their lives. Each of these stories, they highlight the physical beauty of the woman, but a lack of wisdom, a lack of character on the part especially of men, but and women too, lead to sin and suffering. An inappropriate valuation of physical beauty over and above character and faithfulness, it leads to tremendous harm and abuse. But if you had to rate the physical beauty of all the Bible characters, Esther would win hands down. She won the biggest beauty pageant ever held. At the height of the Persian emperor, King Ahasuerus needs a new queen. How do you find the best queen? Well, you hold a beauty pageant. And Esther won. And, and King Ahasuerus takes this commoner, this orphan, this foreigner, and makes her queen over the entire empire. But the story of Esther was not written in the Bible as this ode to the surpassing beauty of Esther. Instead, her physical beauty is not mentioned again after chapter 2. What shines forth in Esther? What saves the people? It's Esther's character. It's Esther's courage. And it's her risking her own life. Sacrificing herself for her people. It's her faithfulness and courage that shines through beyond the surface beauty of the characters. And the lesson we learn from all these examples is to never separate a person's physical beauty from the whole person. When we look at a person and we evaluate them solely on the basis of their attractiveness, what we're doing is we're commodifying or objectifying beauty. That person's beauty or lack of beauty is determining their value to our fulfillment. So when you lust after someone's body, you're separating that person's appearance from the whole person. That person then has just become an object for you to enjoy rather than a whole person for you to love. When you reject a person based solely on their physical appearance, you're ignoring the value of the whole person. You're tying that person's value only to how his or her beauty can fulfill you. Single friends, let me ask you this. How much of your dating strategy is to first swipe your way down to a select number of people based solely on looks, and then you start to look at their character? You won't even consider certain people as potential spouses based solely on physical attractiveness. And the problem with overvaluing physical beauty in a husband or wife and undervaluing character is that this will inevitably lead to massive problems in the marriage. Because marriage will re reveal just how quickly, just how fleeting beauty is and how much more important character is to sustain a marriage. 
Proverbs 6.25 says, Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. This proverb is talking about being captivated or addicted to physical beauty. There's nothing beyond it. There's nothing beyond physical beauty. No virtue, no depth of character, no wisdom. And this is the problem. We keep desiring charm. We keep desiring physical beauty. It never ends. You think, if I can just be this beautiful to others, then I'll be happy. Or you think, if I can just possess that beauty, I'll be happy. But if you make beauty your idol, then what happens? Either that beauty will fade, or someone more beautiful will come along, and that will be devastating to you. Or you finally get that beautiful person you've been pursuing, and you find out you're still feeling the need to chase other beauty. It's never enough. So what do we do? How do we break free from our obsession, our addiction to physical beauty? How do we give up this endless search for beauty? The key is not in trying really hard. It's not to blind yourself to physical beauty and only look at inner beauty. It's not to say, I'm, 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 I'm quitting the game, I'm never wearing makeup again, I'm only going to work on my character. That's not really, it's too hard. We're too conditioned by the world to do that. There needs to be a deeper change, a greater beauty. You know, beauty is relative. There are times where I love my Honda minivan. But when my friend buys a new Tesla Model X, all of a sudden my car feels less beautiful. And that's the way we are. How do we get over our obsession with physical beauty? It's not to ignore it. It's not to suppress it. It's not to look past it. The way we get over our addiction to physical beauty is to find and hold on to something so much more beautiful. Here's a quote from Steve DeWitt in Eyes Wide Open. He says, all the beauty longings in our heart scream for just one beauty that restores, fulfills, and endures. You know, King David was a guy who had it all. As king of Israel, he had access to all the world's charms. He was powerful, he was wealthy, he was handsome. He had whatever beauty he wanted, but listen to his words in Psalm 27. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You know what David says? If he could have one thing, if he could ask God for just one thing, if he could have one wish, it would be to live at the temple so that he could gaze upon the beauty of the Lord for his whole life. This is a man who has everything, but it's nothing compared to the surpassing beauty that he has found. David points to the temple, and he says, there's the greater beauty, which makes you seek no other beauty. And the psalmist Asaph, he says the same thing in Psalm 50. He says this, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes, he does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire, around him a mighty tempest. God comes, Asaph says, but what comes with him? Before him is a devouring fire, around him a mighty tempest. You know, God is the perfection of beauty. 
the beauty that all of us inwardly crave and need, but that beauty is completely inaccessible. It's a devouring fire. You know, fire is beautiful, right? But it's, in, it's unapproachable. You can't touch fire without getting burned. God's beauty in the Bible, it's actually a terrifying thing. Isaiah sees the beauty of God in Isaiah 6, and he's traumatized. He can't bear it. The same goes for the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. He sees Jesus in Revelation 1, and he collapses as though dead. Why? Shouldn't they be like, oh, wow, beautiful? Why is it traumatic? Well, you ever think you're beautiful, and then you meet someone who's really beautiful? And then all of a sudden, your imperfections become apparent. It's traumatic. This happened to me this past Wednesday. I was in community group, and I was talking to, to, to Sam Lin, who's a literal bodybuilder. He could be on physical 100. I was feeling great about myself that day. And then after talking to him for a few minutes, I said, can you go stand over there? <laughs> it's traumatic. I, imagine, imagine having to having to show Tiger Woods your golf swing or showing Steph Curry your, your, your jump shot or having to cook dinner for Thomas Keller. That's terrifying. That's not fun. That's not, wow, cool. Now, magnify that to infinity. God is perfection. So what do we do then? If, if we have this unquenchable thirst for beauty in us, but we can't access the beauty of God, what do we do? Well, this psalm is, is, is really fascinating. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. It's interesting because Asaph talks about a fire and a tempest, but he links it to Zion. Well, the thing is this, Zion is Jerusalem, where the temple was. The fire and the tempest, that happened in the wilderness in Sinai. Mount Sinai, not Mount Zion. So is Asaph getting the wrong mountain here? Did he make a mistake? Well, the writer of Hebrews, uh, he explains what's going on in Hebrews 12. He says this, Sinai represented the old covenant. It represented the physical, which may be touched, while Zion represents the new covenant, which is eternal. So Jesus brings the new covenant with him at Zion. So do you know how we get this beauty? We get the beauty because Jesus takes the fire and the tempest upon himself. He went through the fire of God's judgment so that the beauty that we so long for but we can't reach, it comes to us in Jesus. And how exactly did Jesus come? The scripture doesn't talk a lot about what Jesus looked like. It doesn't talk a lot about his physical appearance. But one thing we do know is this. Jesus was not physically attractive. Isaiah says that Jesus had no form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. He was not physically beautiful. But boy, was he beautiful. We'll be singing of the beauty of the Lamb for all eternity. He became ugly so that he could make us beautiful. You know, Christianity, it is the most beautiful when it is the most hideous. That's the cross. Beauty is redefined. 
The cross is not a joyful sight to behold. It's the worst event that happened in all of history, but it has produced the most joyful sound ever heard for those who follow the way of the cross. True beauty has been redefined by the cross. At the cross, ugly is now beautiful. Weakness is now strength. Folly is now wisdom. Defeat is now victory. Jesus makes us beautiful. That's astounding. That God can look at the likes of us and be amazed by our beauty. Let's look at Psalm 139 again. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Pastor Aaron talked about this last week. But you know another way that we can translate verse 17 is this. How precious are your thoughts about me? How precious are your thoughts concerning me? How vast is the sum of them? If I would count them, they're more than the sand. What that means is this. God can't stop thinking about you. He can't get enough of you. The number of his thoughts about you outnumber the sand on the shore. God is obsessed with your beauty. That's crazy. It matters who considers you beautiful. It really does. The implications for this are astounding. If one of you came up to me after the sermon and told me, Gene, I think you're ugly. That would sting a little bit. But, you know, I would be like, okay, well, you know, you're not a supermodel, so go, go look in the mirror, um, and I'll get over it. But on the flip side of that, if someone really beautiful calls you beautiful, man, how, imagine Beyonce called me and said, Gene, you're so beautiful. I, I can't stop thinking about you. I would say... You know, you're married, I'm married, we have kids, like, but, but thank you. I'm so flattered. I'm so flattered. Why? Because somebody really beautiful is looking at me and calling me beautiful. Like, it matters. So if the God of the universe who created beauty, if the perfection of beauty marvels at your beauty, Boy, what does it matter what anybody else says about your appearance? The Bible, it ends with this grand wedding banquet, the ceremony of all the ages. Jesus is the groom, we the church, we're the blushing bride, and on that day we will behold Jesus face to face, and he will look into your eyes the way a husband looks at his wife on his wedding day. Complete awe. Wonder, delight, love. And we will enjoy that beauty for all eternity. This is the beauty that will curb your appetite for all lesser beauties. What looks matter in light of this beauty? So how do we win our thought wars? We allow ourselves to be captivated by a greater and an eternal beauty. And the last thing I'll mention is this. We don't need to fight these thought wars alone. If beauty is something that you're struggling with and you can't seem to get past, you can't seem to win your struggles, maybe try sharing your struggles with brothers and sisters who can keep you accountable, who can share 
your burdens. And I know that this topic is especially is one that is very shameful, one that we don't like to talk about. If you need counseling in any of these areas we looked at today, please come and talk to us. There is help. There is healing. But ultimately know this, that in Jesus, you have the greatest counselor and friend who knows everything about you, every mistake you've ever made, every struggle. And know that you are forgiven, you are loved, you are his, and you are beautiful. Let's pray. Our beautiful God, we're amazed that you gave up everything to save us and to make ugly sinners beautiful. We thank you for the gospel, and I pray that that would be for us the eternal beauty that captivates our hearts and helps us to win this struggle with beauty. Bless us, help us, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.